Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And it's time again for us to talk about our wrap-up of Season 2. Time, hey? Yeah, I mean, like, go go simple. Go classic. Pretty classic. <laughs> Are you... You know, you don't have to always cut me down. That's our shtick, though. Okay, so you always have to cut me down. Yeah. We're talking... This is the second part of our Season 2 wrap-up episode. Um, we're going to start by talking through the characters and what we think about the journeys of these characters throughout this season. Do you want to take it away? So let's start with Clark. Okay. Let's kind of go like minor to major in terms of characters. So let's start with Clark. All right. So he's become more of a major character this season. Much more. And... Frankly, I really like him this season. Me too. I kind of liked him last season and he was interesting, but they definitely, I like his inclusion in the cast this time around. How about you? I have always been on record as being a Hamish Linklater fan. I don't know what even it is about him every time he's on screen. Also in Fargo, he shows up in season three of Fargo and I just found him delightful. Mm-hmm. Um. So I've always liked him and I like him, I continue to like him a lot as an actor. And that makes me really like him as a character, even if there wasn't anything else. Two of my favorite moments. Well, no, let me just say, I have some favorite Clark moments that I want to highlight. And then maybe we can talk about whether we think his character develops or changes through the season. Mm -hmm. But three real highlights of his character that come to mind. The first are when he's interrogating David in the uh, chapter 11, chapter 9, whatever it is. <laughs> the first episode of this season. Yeah, chapter 9. Chapter 9, White Rabbit. Uh, where they go to the diner and he's like, I used to eat a lot of ice cream. We played this game where anytime there was an evil twin, I would eat ice cream. And then ice cream... <laughs> that he had previously ordered comes. He's like, sorry, you were saying? Yeah. Just takes a bite of ice cream. Like, it is so fantastic. It shows so much about him as a character. It's just a hilarious and, uh, it's a hilarious moment. It shows so much, uh, skill in the actor. Mm-hmm. The timing of that whole bit. And what it shows about him as a character, right, is he's, like, suspicious. But also uh, about the plans. He anticipates and plans what he's going to do. Yes. Right? Even if it's just to drop a sick burn. Mm-hmm. He's thought ahead to where it's going in the end. Yeah. And the second one I really love is just like the moment in Bad Eggs, whichever chapter that is, where he's walking along and the Vermilions are following him and he keeps looking behind and they pose. And that's not really a him character moment. It's just a moment of the show that is about that he is central in. That's one of my favorite moments yeah. of the whole season two. Absolutely. That is a great, great moment. And finally, I really like his conversation with Sid, mm-hmm. where they're like, he's like, it's just us girls. You can mm-hmm. just talk to me. And no, you can't. No. But also, not. I can really see why she would. Mm-hmm. He does very well at 
being disarming, at being like creating the sense of intimacy. Yeah. Of like, well, you can just gossip about your boyfriend. And the line that I don't think is fair, uh, I don't think he's right for saying it, but it is a good line of like, your boyfriend could turn evil and destroy the world if you hurt his feelings real bad. Mm-hmm. It's not fair to put that on her at all, but that's a great line. Yeah, I agree. And it reveals all this, a lot of the same things that his... Uh, ice cream conversation does like it reveals that he's always got a plan he's always working an angle but he's also really charming clark is extremely insightful and we see in this season how right he was in the first season we see that like he was kept telling them that david was dangerous and no one even david believed him and we get an echo of clark's exact line from season one saying one day you guys are going to wake up and realize you're gods. And David says the exact same line. One of the Davids in his head says that exact line. Yeah. Again to, to David saying, you know, you're a god. Which establishes that back in season one, Clark had David's number. Yeah, exactly. He knew. he was He's insightful and smart and he's continued to be that. Mm-hmm. I want to speak a little bit to how they film him. Yep. Which I think is brilliant. They're always, it's always going back and forth between, he's always in shadow. Yep. And whether his, the burn side of his face is showing or the unburned side, I feel like every time that happens, it is significant. Yep. It is showing a certain side of him and whether he's trusting or untrusting or whether he's even good and evil. Yep. Almost in that moment. And- but it's more complicated than that. And it's easy both, I don't know, it's easy to forget, but it's also, I think, important to keep in mind that he was a primary antagonist in season one. Mm-hmm. And so, like, or a secondary antagonist, I guess, because the Shadow King was the primary one. He was the secondary antagonist of season one, and now he's still, even though we're on the same time, side, he still is often in an antagonistic posture in relation to the rest of them. Yeah. And that scarring and the way it's shown kind of represents that visually, I think. Mm-hmm. I do if I'm gonna have a complaint about Clark, it's that at the in the last episode of the first season, we saw this whole backstory with him and his husband and his kid, and this season we saw none of them. Like as far as we saw he doesn't have a husband or kid. And he seems like they're all sleeping, like, in the building, in Division 3. Yeah. And he was sleeping alone. So, yep. like, has his husband left him? It seemed like his husband worked for Division 3. Yeah. So is he gone? Is he dead? Is he... We didn't see the son in... When it showed the children in that little classroom area, his son was not there. Yeah. It's just what a difference a year makes. And I would love to know what happened to Clark's family, but I don't think we're going to be privy to that. And I think that is a criticism that i share that i think like i think they should have given us something yeah because why did you make us care about his family why did you give us that moment without any follow-up so even if it was anything from like you know it's hard during this assignment to be apart from them while he's having his conversation with sid would have been the perfect time to like say that to disarm her yeah and reveal a little bit to the audience of like what's the deal with him or like i don't trust you David, uh, 
Oliver seemed trustworthy and he killed my family Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, I don't care. I care a little bit, but like, it doesn't matter how that gets resolved, but I think it needed to be addressed somehow. Yeah. I I was a little disappointed it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to Patonomy in this season. Ooh. Yeah. So... I mean, we could go forwards, but I want to go a little bit backwards to say, is he dead? He's dead, right? Like, he's in the mainframe thing, but, like, as far as we're concerned, he's dead and might even not be in the third season. I think maybe not. I think yes and no, because who is a character who was definitely dead subsumed by some kind of psychic entity and hey now is back with a body Hmm. yeah right they did that this season so patonomy's body is dead his mind is in the mainframe it seems like it's being subsumed by whatever that is i'm holding on to hope that patonomy in some uh degree will be back next season I hope so, too. Because they've established a precedent for that. And even they established pretty emphatically that Amy was dead when uh, the Shadow King turns her into Lenny. Mm -hmm. But then we start to see Amy is still in Lenny's head. Yeah, that's a good point. So Amy's not dead either, necessarily. I don't think, I don't actually expect Amy to be back bodily. Mm -hmm. But... They have really uh, made it plain that, well, death. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think we complained at the end of season one that Patonomy had been underused. And I think the same thing this season. Mm -hmm. So while I don't think necessarily he's gone forever, he definitely ends this season dead. Yeah. Um. And that's a shame. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed, to say the least. I really like Jeremy Harris, and he had such a such potential in the start, and I think they've squandered that a bit. Yeah. Even and... at the beginning of the season, I felt like he had potential again. And you had him as, like, the touch point for David coming back. Yeah. It was really interesting. And then him in his maze and being the one who took around the eggs was interesting but then yeah just not quite i think i missed the mark with him with autonomy i agree his powers and personality are both very interesting they were really important his powers were really plot important in season one mm-hmm. and less plot important in season two and maybe that's why he played a lesser role yeah but there's a lot more to him than that and we saw his character kind of develop further in this season in season one he was either the memory guy or the violence guy and in season two we're seeing him as a much more thoughtful character Mm, yeah but i can kind of see that maybe in terms of plot he serves a very similar role to what clark does yeah i don't know they i think they didn't quite know what to do with him and that's too bad because i like him a lot and want him to do stuff same i loved the talking about him in the maze 
him with his flower suit cutting flowers in the maze like that's another uh season high point for me just in terms of the visuals of that shot which isn't Mm -hmm. really a note on his character much like clark walking through the maze with vermilions chasing him isn't necessarily a thing about his character but it's one of my favorite moments of the series was one that featured him it's not but i mean it's not just visually beautiful there's the ideas behind it of he wants to be in a world where he can just forget because he remembers everything yeah is actually a character moment that i that i really enjoy i also another highlight for Patonomy for me is his conversation with lenny where he talks about his theory of time Hmm. Yeah, that was a great conversation and a great moment that I really enjoyed. Like, there's the past, there's the future, there's no present. Even you see me, and it's very quick, but the light takes a fraction of an instant to travel, and it takes a fraction of time for your brain to interpret it. So it's not now. Hmm. Like that's philosophically important it also is really revealing of his character that like he's a in season one he said the line i like to think of myself as a time traveler and here in season two he denies the existence of the present like i just kind of want him to talk to us about his worldview some more yeah (laughs) you know absolutely yeah so um Moving on from Patonomy, mm-hmm. though I'd like to mourn him a little more, and I'd like the show to mourn him a little more. Yeah, it's surprising agreed. how like this guy was their friend, and they didn't really mourn him. Anyway, uh, I have them lumped together, but Carrie and Carrie, we could talk about each of them separately. We could. Um, so male Carrie, I feel like his arc this season was all about leading up to being disappointed by David. Agreed. Was he, of all people, has trust David and was very on his side and was building all these things for him and helping him every way he possibly could. And then that moment in the last episode where he goes, it's treachery. Yeah. And he's devastated. Totally agree. This is a man he thought he was his friend and he realizes that he was wrong to trust him. And think of the moment, one of the first moments of season two is David being brought into the lab and they're all in these hazmat suits and Carrie takes off his helmet because it's not just that he, like, that's a visual moment. It's a symbolic moment of him trusting and having faith in David that, like, he doesn't just trust David personally. He, like... Excuse me, sorry. He doesn't just trust David personally and trust his good intentions or whatever. He believes that David is benevolent, that David's influence on the world is going to be good, that David doesn't pose a har- uh, threat to him, that David's not contagious. Like, And that's all symbolized, but he takes off his protection. Yeah. He literally makes himself vulnerable for David yes. and then spends the rest of the season doing that. And when David sends Carrie and Carrie off on their plan male Carrie is the one who keeps saying like we just have to trust him yeah exactly he has a plan we're just gonna do it because we trust him yeah and then absolutely he is so betrayed mm-hmm. when david betrays sid he is so disillusioned yeah 
And we know that apparently in the future he builds this spear. Yeah. And I feel like that would happen because of his feelings of betrayal. He would easily, he would want to do everything he could to stop that from happening. Yeah, agreed. I have to shout out, as I did uh, in our wrap-up of season one, but I have to just shout out again for actors who I really like. I think Bill Irwin is uh, extremely talented as an actor. I mean, he gets a lot of credit for his, both from me and from other people, for like his comic ability. He's an amazing physical comedian and physical actor. And there's Mm -hmm. moments where like, you know, he walks off in the wrong direction and uh, that kind of thing. But he's also like really a compelling actor to just watch Mm -hmm. doing anything yeah i think again highlights of this character this apparently is i wasn't planning on it but this apparently is a thing i'm going to do for every character as we go through (laughs) when he's making the, we have again a bill Irwin dance scene Mm -hmm. when he's first puts david in the resonator chamber also in chapter nine white rabbit and the music starts play and the the dance fight uh and bill irwin starts dan- dancing in the real world yeah it's intercut with bill irwin and it's like first of all of bill irwin jermaine clement and dan stevens all dancing at the same time uh bill irwin is the actual best dancer mm-hmm. of those three by quite a quite a large margin yeah um it also is this, like, it's symbolic, I think, of his uh, sympathy with David. Mm-hmm. He, like, he's there with him. Yeah. Right? He's dancing because David's dancing. It's a weird and wonderful moment that I really enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Female Carrie. Yeah. She's... So you last season were like, I want to see more, or even the beginning of this season, you want to see more of why she's so badass and i think they delivered i think so we have two big fight scenes with her and they both unfortunately they have a bit of a tendency to film her in slow motion and uh what's her name amber mid-thunder uh is not as physically imposing as carrie is Mm -hmm. and so like her punches it'd be best to film it in fast motion not in slow motion is all i'm saying because when nobody Everybody's form is uh, susceptible to criticism when you slow it all down. Yeah, exactly. And her punches that look weak when you slow them down. Just like speed it up and show her knocking people out. But her fight scene with all the Vermilions and then her fight scene with all the blue guys. (laughs) (laughs) Safe-headed guys. Are both like putting your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. Instead of just telling us that she's tough show us especially her fight with the safe-headed guys Mm -hmm. where everyone else collapses and she starts to and then it's just like no (laughs) i'm not going to be knocked out by this sound and she beats them all up and it is great as and as well as her toughness we get her vulnerability this season we get her not knowing like when they switch places where uh male carrie gets to be inside mm-hmm. and how desperate she is for it not to be that way and how they don't want to rejoin because it might go that way again and she's just doesn't want to live in the world 
she doesn't know how to live in the world. She's such a child in some ways. Yeah. And so we see, yeah, a lot of her vulnerability and her inability to function as a singular person. Yep. That makes her sympathetic and an interesting character. And the there was some criticism the the scene where Carrie and Carrie are in like the Chinese restaurant and they're talking and she says I'd stab death twice in the heart before he got to you. Mm-hmm. I saw some criticism of people being like she's like a fighter and kills people does she not understand what death is? And like I don't think that that was meant to indicate that she literally doesn't know what death is. Uh but it indicates exactly what you were saying that like she's vulnerable and uh childish about things like that yeah but a lot of things really and where male carrie is emotional and vulnerable and a sensitive person she is the opposite Mm -hmm. and doesn't know what to do with vulnerability yeah for sure uh, season high for female Carrie is just her being so excited about fighting a minotaur. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Did I tell you I fought a minotaur? You know what its blood smelled like? Didn't taste like that, though. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, so great. <laughs> and also gross. Yep, exactly. So what about Melanie? Melanie. She was barely in the season. In a lot of ways. There was a lot of episodes she was absent from entirely. Especially in the first, like, two-thirds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I mean, we find out at the end kind of why, and we just get this sense the entire season that she's wasting away her potential. Mm-hmm. Which she basically is. Yep. But this is such a different Melanie. It's hard to wrap my head around the difference between this Melanie and season one Melanie. How about you? Yeah, agreed. And it's interesting because season one Melanie also had been abandoned by Oliver. But it's the difference is that like the second time. The lack of hope. The lack of hope. The insight that i say insight because it's like a a sudden um moment of understanding that might not be true but it feels to her like understanding whether it's true or not is irrelevant to my point but the insight that this is a cycle that he's always going to abandon her Mm -hmm. uh all it takes is twice for something to be a pattern right yeah we saw a bit of this melanie i think in mental clockworks yes like this is this is very similar to that Melanie. That fragile Melanie has come to the surface. Mm-hmm. She's also grows dark through the season and is influenced by the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how her bedroom has this like everyone else just has normal windows but she has this pattern on her windows of like black and then growing hexagons out of it Mm -hmm. and i really feel like from the first moment you see her you see this pattern on her wall and it really reflects what is happening with melanie she's going to pieces and she's going dark yeah absolutely and where she ends up in the end of the season is on the astral plane with oliver 
And that was a really surprising turn for me. I did not expect her to actually want that. I thought she was mad at him. And is that a happy ending for her? Because I think that's the kind of thing that is... This show gives us emotional and narrative red herrings a lot. Mm-hmm. Where it presents us something like, Hey, look, she got a happy ending. Um, I'm not sure that we want to naively accept this as Melanie is now happy. Yeah. We will wait and see what happens. But like, on one hand, this is what she has wanted all along. She doesn't have a dream. She just wants to be with Oliver and live with him and be like in a cabin in the woods or whatever. That uh, motif Mm -hmm. that we didn't talk about in motifs, but comes up from several characters' mouths. She kind of gets that at the end, but it's also kind of erasing her. Yes, exactly. As it's symbolized by the loss of memory and loss of words and that Oliver's time in the ice cube in the first place was traumatic. Mm-hmm. And now he's back there and she's with him and them being together doesn't prevent them from kind of fading away. Mm-hmm. And they're losing bits of themselves in the exact same way Oliver did before. Exactly. Like losing words and concepts of the things. People's yep. names. <laughs> the girl who would kick... Yes, exactly. <laughs> Glasses with lab coating, the girl who would kick. That was my favorite. <laughs> I love, that's, that's my name for Carrie from now on. Maybe the rest of Clockworks, anytime we're talking about Carrie and Carrie, just to not be confusing, we should just call them Glasses with lab coat and the girl who would kick. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Oliver, mm-hmm. should we move on to his arc in the season? Yeah. What do we think about Oliver this season? Well, I mean, once again, I was surprised at the direction they went in. Because for the first, like, lots of the season, he was trapped in with Farouk, but also seemed to be asserting dominance, seemed to be working on some kind of plan. And then in the end, none of that came to fruition. Hmm. Unless it did and we're not seeing it. Yeah. That line about, like, I'm going to kill you, here's the clue. Nothing came of that at all. No. That we could see. And so, I mean, we're going to talk about our predictions, but I expect that we're going to have some kind of answer to that eventually. And if we don't get an answer to that, then I think, like, I just think that's a mistake. Because uh, while this season is all about mazes and loose endings and dead ends, and maybe that's the answer to this. It's a question we don't get an answer to because this is a season of dead ends. Mm -hmm. But it makes, it leaves Oliver as a character very unresolved. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Maybe he is. Maybe he will just be unresolved. But that's uh, unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He wanted to... When when he's talking to Melanie in her head about him being frozen, 
mm-hmm. that what he wanted was for her to get rid of his body so he could just be free on the astral plane. And so it's weird that it's like he was trapped in the ice cube because she didn't get rid of his body. Yeah. And that's a weird, like, it's a a point of comparison with him and Farouk, whose whole goal this whole season is to find his body. Yeah. And Oliver's is to get rid of his. Yeah. It makes me wonder, like, we can never really trust this season anything that Oliver says until that last scene in the ice cube again. Mm-hmm. You can never really trust anything that he says because he's under the influence of the Shadow King. And like, what of what he's saying is actually what he thinks and wants himself. Yeah, exactly. Even in conversations with Farouk. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to be certain when he's genuine. You know? Absolutely. And they really make that very clear in the scene where david uh tortures him mm-hmm. that like you the audience and the characters inside can't tell the difference between oliver and Farouk. yeah and he acts strangely yeah through he's the whole always, season but he's always acted strangely yeah so what's normal oliver <laughs> yeah i just don't know yep i mean beat poets and uh Freeform jazz. Yeah. Speaking of favorite Oliver moments, uh, I gotta say, just like, my favorite Oliver thing is that, like, he just always has a martini in his hand. <laughs> Somehow, he just gets that martini. Who knows where it comes from? Most of the time, it's in his head. Yeah. But Oliver always has that martini, and I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great character note. Agreed. It says so much about his character just in that one thing. I think once more, like to gush about every single one, but uh, Jermaine Clement has been a favorite of mine and ours all along. Mm-hmm. And he continues to be. Yeah. So I really hope he, there's another one that I hope we see lots of next season because I think Jermaine Clement is the best. Mm-hmm. Favorite, my like little moment but season high for Oliver is the him locking his lips and throwing away the key and it makes a thing noise when it hits the ground. Yeah, that's great. It's a great moment. It's not. Once more, it's, it's like a show moment that he's in mm-hmm. rather than a character moment, really. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, let's talk a bit about Lenny. Let's talk a bit about Lenny. I mean, wow. What... An unexpected, unheard of <laughs> shift. Like, we spent all last season with her being the Shadow King. And then this season with her being trapped and then suddenly there in real life. Yeah. And I mean, we should remember how in season one, we spent most of the season unsure about what Lenny's deal was. Yes, that's true. Was she real Lenny? Was she in David's head? Was she malevolent? Was she an aspect of David's personality? Was she independent from David? And it wasn't till like the end of season one that we got anything close to a solid answer on those. And even at the beginning of season two, the second episode of season two, where they're on the carousel with Lenny and Oliver and David and David's talking to Lenny and like, was any part of you the Lenny that I know? 
and she doesn't give him a straight answer at that point. Mm-hmm. So I talked about like Oliver be I'm I talked about Clark being a secondary antagonist who becomes like much more sympathetic in this season in some ways. But Lenny is like the face of the villain for season one at the end. When we finally do get an answer on who Lenny really is, she's like the only face we've had for the Shadow King. Mm-hmm. And then this season, we spend a lot of time again with not really sure who exactly Lenny is. Right? Yeah, exactly. We just don't, we just don't know so much of what Lenny is. It's just this complete mystery. And even now when she's in physical form and she's taken Amy's body, how much of her personality is the former Lenny? How much of her personality is influenced by Amy? We just have no idea. How much of her personality still maintains an influence from Farouk? One explicit question of both seasons has been how much is Farouk's influence still felt on David? And that same question applies to maybe a lesser extent, but applies to Lenny. Mm -hmm. And like when she comes back bodily and she's talking to David and David's like, you're working with the Shadow King. And she's like, well, I'm not not working with him. (laughs) Yeah. So what can we even trust her ever? I don't think we can. I think the only constant is that we cannot trust anything Lenny says. And even she can't. Like, she, I believe her in that scene when she's like, I don't remember. I don't know where I got my body from. Like, I believe her. Mm-hmm. Right? That at her most reliable, most trustworthy ever in both seasons, she is a mentally unstable drug addict. Yeah. Which means that she her perspective and judgment are not exactly uh reliable right yeah and her perspective on herself Mm -hmm. even like we still don't even know what exactly she did to end up in clockworks no because the stealing the shopping cart and running down the street and helping to rob the store that was all benny yeah maybe (laughs) nothing is clear And then, like, in the same kind of breath as Lenny, we should talk about Amy. I feel like, to part the curtain a bit, we talked about this off mic. We're going to talk about Lenny and Amy together because Amy has such a small presence this season. Mm -hmm. That really, when we're talking about Amy, we're talking about Lenny. We're talking about an aspect of Lenny, mostly. Mostly, yeah. Well, I mean, Amy was there are little there's a few parts of this show of this season that I'm disappointed by mm-hmm. and the fact that last season David was so focused on finding his sister and then this time he wakes up and I know that it's only been he claims that it's only been a day for him even when he finds out it's been a year he doesn't ask about Amy Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we can say that maybe he asked off camera, he asked whatever, but we don't ever see him care anymore about his sister. Until she's gone. Until she's, yeah. Until she's been killed. And the Shadow King says that, like, he is only pretending to care about Amy ever. Yeah. He resents her, actually. Yeah. We saw, 
I think in Mental Clockworks that Amy subconsciously resents David. Mm-hmm. And the Shadow King tells us that David subconsciously resents Amy. Yeah. It seems like that's all true. We definitely see in the episode that's all in David's head. When David has real power, he definitely resents and mistreats Amy. Mm-hmm. And then so... And maybe, again, to take a step away from in-world and think a little bit meta, like, what does it mean for us to replace Len- Amy with Lenny? That, like, there's a limited number of women David's allowed to care about? Hmm. That his relationship with Lenny is sisterly? It's like the sister he wishes he had? Maybe. Someone to embrace his insanity instead of resist it. Hmm. A sister that's more like a friend than a mother. And that's the, there's a sense in which what happens to Amy when she transforms into Lenny is like a torture for David. But there's another sense in which it's wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. He actually Absolutely. gets what he wants. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you think that we're going to, like I said, when we were talking about Patonomy, I said that Amy's still around in some sense. We're going to talk predictions in a second, but right now, do you think we're going to see Amy again in season three? Yes. I think she is an aspect of Lenny now. Mm-hmm. So, season favorite moments for Lenny, uh, for me, are like her whole episode where she's off finding the blue octopus and having dreams and uh like that was great to me i really (laughs) enjoyed that and my very favorite moment my very favorite favorite lenny moment of the season is her walking away from the burning car and then being like oh yeah and going back to get the gun i'm on record at the time loving that moment and i still do yeah absolutely it's a great moment I think I like my favorite moment is when she sits with the with the uh, safe headed guys and kind of like, okay, I'm gonna meditate with you for about like three seconds. And like, <laughs> well, this isn't working. Let me try something else. Yep. Like she just has no patience at all. Except she then sits there as a sniper for a while, but That's then true. as soon as she has shot the thing, she's like, okay, I'm done with this and yep. gets high. Man, she is great. Yeah. I mean, she's the worst, Yeah, <laughs> but she's also very entertaining to watch. Yeah, and Aub- Aubrey Plaza is an amazing actress and deserves all the things for this role. Yeah, I think she's less uh, um, in-your-face good this season than last. Like, last season, she was doing more uh, really ostentatious acting. Mm-hmm. But I still love what she's doing this season. Yeah, I agree. So what do we want to say about Sid this season? Oof. Well, there's basically two Sids. Mm-hmm. There's the Sid, we our normal Sid, and then there's future Sid. Mm-hmm. And whether future Sid is the same Sid all the way through is up for debate. But our normal... You know, regular Sid 
definitely goes through a whole arc this season. I think so too, yeah. She, I think she changes most of everyone. Because we have her start off pining for David, happy he's back. Um, you know, he says, can I kiss you? And she says, you better. Like, she's, she wants him Yep. the minute he gets back. But then that doesn't last for very much longer. No. As soon as he actually is back, she's unsure if she wants him. Even when he very first appears, like, one of the first things she says to him is, where have you been? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say it. I mean, I remember remarking this at the time. She doesn't say it in like, I've missed you so much. I'm so glad you're back. She says it in like, accusatory. Yeah, absolutely. Where have you been? And it's important when we talked about this, when we're talking about motifs, that the her compass symbolizes that she's searching for David and not finding him mm-hmm. all season. Yeah. She spends... I mean, do you think uh, that we end this season with Sid now as the hero of the show? I'm reluctant to use hero at all. Yeah. But I think she definitely has protagonist qualities to her now. Yeah. I think that depending on how the third season goes, maybe she has been the protagonist all along. Yep. And that's possible. Maybe like, this is Sid's story. It could be. And we can see where it, where they're laying the groundwork for that this season, but that doesn't mean that they're going to pay it off. Mm-hmm. Right? I still remember back in season one, a couple of episodes in, saying, like, we haven't seen a lot of Sid. I'd like to, I hope that they flesh her out. <laughs> and like, man, did they ever. Yep. I mean, the fact that we get that entire episode that is about Sid's whole life yeah, is really significant and gave a lot of insight into her character and yep. into what motivates her. Yep. And I think we see even more than David yeah, what agreed. motivates her. I don't think David understands, even after that episode, I don't think he has understood what he's watched. No, he just doesn't get it. But if we are uh, paying attention we should come out of that episode understanding Sid a lot better. Mm-hmm. So what do you understand, Kevin, coming out of that? <laughs> I think I understand that Sid has had a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And Sid is looking for a lot of things. She's yeah. looking for someone to share in her pain, to share in her love, to be trustworthy. Yep. Is that she's had a lot of experiences with people who are untrustworthy and she's been untrustworthy herself. Yep. And so for someone to betray her the way David does is the worst kind of betrayal. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with all of that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we see in the episode in her head is it's something about rachel kelly's rachel keller's performance she has a lot of vulnerability in her performance which makes it easy to read sid as fragile Mm -hmm. and that episode in her head really without uh 
diminishing her vulnerability really emphasizes that if she's vulnerable, she's also tough. Mm-hmm. Like, if she's fragile, it's deep down. There's a lot of toughness outside that. Yeah. You know? I think that's one of the things that's easy that David doesn't really recognize how tough Sid is. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree. Like, he leaves her behind. You know, all that that whole desert battle he plans out, he, he leaves her out of it. Yeah. And we can say, like, oh, it's because he loves her and wants to protect her. But he also doesn't think she's strong enough. He underestimates her. Completely underestimates her. Again and again. Yeah. And I think that shows in then future Sid is extremely tough and Mm -hmm. hard and jaded. Yep. But doesn't want to be. Also, can we just take a moment to talk about Sid's missing arm in the future mm-hmm. and what that means symbolically? What does it mean symbolically? It, uh, on one hand, it represents, on one hand, oh, I apologize <laughs> for that. I didn't do it on purpose. In one sense, it represents her toughness. Mm-hmm. It represents, like, it makes, uh, visually obvious and physical her uh toughness and her loss and her pain but it also symbolizes when i say lost like she's not whole mm-hmm. there's something missing from her and that doesn't isn't to say i want to be really clear as i sometimes am in the show literal people with literal disabilities that doesn't mean they're not whole but in fiction a person who has a body part missing that they didn't want that can symbolically represent other things missing from them as a character. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that uh, the missing arm symbolizes like battle toughness mm-hmm. or represents battle toughness, but it symbolizes loss. Something she used to have, she doesn't have anymore. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the series, we... Up at the end of the season, we recognize that as being connected to David. Yeah. Whether it is David or it's her trust of David or it's her love of David or whatever. Mm-hmm. So her arm missing represents that she's lost something when David turns on her. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, what do we think, what are we going to say about David's progression this season? Well, David definitely goes through a lot this season Mm -hmm. in, like Sid, an unexpected direction. Like, people kept saying in other ways that he he was, this was like his villain arc, he's going on full villain. And I didn't feel like he was going to until the end, but I'm still unsure whether he's actually full on villain at this point. It's just complicated. Because part of the point of this season, in terms of the good and evil theme, was that there's not really such a thing as a full-on villain. Mm-hmm. Like, they spend so much time, and even, like, if you take the most possible simplistic uh, and least nuanced view, and you take Farouk just at his word, the hero was the villain, and the villain was the hero, well, why can't that happen again? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how it works. If it's a light switch, you click the switch to evil or to good 
then he can switch back to good and back to evil. I don't think that is at all what how it works, mm-hmm. either in good fiction or in certainly in life. Mm-hmm. But like, he was never a full-on hero, and now he's not a full-on villain. You know? Yeah. However, well, what were you going to say, sir? Oh, I was just saying, he never believed that he, he had actually stopped believing he was sick. Yeah. And I'd kind of forgotten that. Yeah. I kept expecting him to know that he was still sick. But no. And so it being like a shock for Sid to reveal that to him wasn't a shock to me. No. I don't know if we as the audience were supposed to be surprised by that. I don't think so. Like he's from the very first episode of the season we hear voices in his head Mm -hmm. and they're not presented to us as like conventional inner monologue no they're presented to us as like there are separate personalities arguing with you in your head you know yeah and telling him to say things and telling him not to say things and arguing with each other and with him yep definitely I think what provides us with the most insight into David this season is the episode with all the alternate timelines. I agree. You get a full sense of David's multifaceted personality Mm -hmm. or personalities, as the case may be. He is, he contains all of those things, all of those personalities that we saw, the homeless man, the drugged to oblivion guy, the rich guy the guy who's living with amy the like all of those things the guy who's in the suburbs with 2.5 kids he is just he has the potential and the personality to have all of those things to be all of those things or rather to be any of those things yes to be any of those things doesn't have the personality or the potential to be all of them and that's one of the things that is uh Difficult about mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. And it's not only his choices, but the choices of those around him. Yeah. And so potentially we could say that the choices that Division 3 has made, the choice to put him in that sphere, made him into what he is by the end of the season. And the choice to make turn him into that, put him into that sphere seems to be, have been Carrie and Sid's choice. Mm-hmm. However... He also has his own choices to make through the whole season and through the like. Yes. I don't. I totally think that what we're saying is that uh, it's not only your own choices that control what happens. But I do think that we see. That he still does have choices of how he's going to react. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that one of the things that like there is that episode all in david's head has a philosophical meaning and a character meaning and the philosophical meaning is that for all of us chant you know events shape your personality and your personality shapes your choices and your choices shape the events Mm -hmm. and so it's this cycle of what what is the real you what is the real choice what it like is billionaire david any less real than the david that we know through the whole show i would say no. No, definitely not. 
from a pers- from a character perspective, what that episode is doing is showing us what is it about David's character uh, that is consistent regardless of his choices, if anything. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's showing us a little bit of who would David be and what choices would he make if different events happened to him. And that's, I think, a different character placed in those same situations with all those same choices might have made different choices within that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So we see David as fairly naive still, even when he becomes a villain. Like he is, I think that episode reveals to us, he is more, he is particularly susceptible to the winds of the events around him. I feel like the Sid that we saw is a Sid who is going to be much more consistent depending on the situations than the David that we see, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's partly because of the events that have already happened. But if you start changing events from now on, I think uh, Sid has more uh, inner resolve than David does. Does that make sense? I think so. I think one of the aspects of David's character that we see in this season is that he is susceptible, more than usually susceptible, to the things that are happening around him. And that speaks to a... uh, Malleability? Malleability of his character. I want to not... I want to... I'm trying to think of a word that isn't weakness. Hmm. Because I think it speaks to like a vulnerability at his very core. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? That makes him malleable, that can be a strength sometimes, but also can make him dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the end, like, he's dangerous. Yes. That is the conclusion of this season. That's the conclusion of the whole show is someone this powerful is dangerous. No matter how you slice it, no matter what side he's on. Yeah. He's worrying and that, and everyone around him is worrying about what he's going to do. And, then, and like, adding the mental illness on top of that makes him extra dangerous. And that, like, we could go around and around and disagree, and some people are going to think he's absolutely, definitely villainous, and some people are going to think he's absolutely, definitely not, and I'm going to say it's more nuanced than that, but what I think is not up for debate is that he's dangerous. Yeah. Whether he's heroic, villainous, or somewhere in between, he's definitely dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I think that totally is what we are clearly shown by the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. Should we move on to Farouk? What do you want to say about Farouk this season? He's he's the last, last character I have written down here. And I mean, Farouk is basically a new character this season. Yeah. We had the Shadow King last season... But this is specifically Amal Farouk. Yeah, and if there's a distinction between the Shadow King and Amal Farouk, we are really uh, exploring that distinction in this season. Yeah, exactly. So he is this, like, compelling character. He speaks all these languages. He has these sunglasses that he never really takes off. Yeah. Like, you do see his eyes sometimes, but rarely. Yeah. He's... We find out he's like 200 years old. 
he has these relationships that still exist with like the driver that he goes and sees mm-hmm. and so he and he's such a smooth talker he really is i did not expect this i expected him to be much more coarse much more like the devil with yellow eyes but he's actually this suave kind of businessmanish person <laughs> who charms everyone and who char- who tries to charm david and by the Repeatedly. end you see that like i tried to make you love me you can't make people love you because i tried yep yeah absolutely I think it's a really good choice of the show to make him so charming. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times when he's debating with David, he makes really valid points. Really valid. Yeah. He's better at, he's so much better at debating than David is. And so you end up almost on his side. Yeah. And then we see repeatedly like his actions belie his words. Mm-hmm. So he talks as if like, what he acts all surprised that David's mad that he killed Amy <laughs> when yeah. like no you as if you didn't know that that would upset him yeah exactly um but the reason he presents his point of view really compellingly and that has a lot to do with how charming the actor is mm-hmm. but it also has to do with how compelling and charming the character is as written yeah definitely exactly and we kind of touched on this briefly does Farouk develop and grow as a character this season? I'm not sure. He's... I don't know if he changes. If we can't really figure out whether he changes or not, really. Because he he changes in the sense that he seems to come to the side of good... But I don't think he actually does. No. I think from the beginning to the end, I think there's a massive change, as you said, from the end of season one to the beginning of season two. But the fruit we see through season two is pretty consistent throughout, I would say. He's an opportunist and he's self-centered and that doesn't always mean that he does evil things but it does mean that he can never be relied upon not to do evil things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's true from the beginning and it's true at the end. Yeah. I believe him. I absolutely believe him when he says like, I tried to make you love me. And I absolutely believe him when he says like this sweet boy destroyed by vengeance. Yeah. I'm saddened. I think yeah. that's true. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's, uh, you know, he has a very solipsistic worldview, and that makes him both insightful and charming, but also really blind to certain insights about his own character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's very much like, everyone tells me I'm a villain, but, I mean, no one believes they're a villain, really. No. I guess not. Is there anything else you want to say about Farouk? I think we've about covered it. I probably will think of things I wanted to say afterwards, but I think we've covered the main things I wanted to talk about. And are there any other characters that we've missed that you can think of? Maybe we could talk about Vermilion as an entity. I don't know if they make any sense as a character. 
And Fukuyama we haven't talked about. Yeah, that's true. Like Vermilion, I'm not sure that there we see enough of Fukuyama humanized for us to make any real assessments of him as a character. Mm-hmm. He's like a, again, an entity or a force or a presence, but I don't know that he is a character in the way that we've been talking about these other characters. You yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? Yep. Or like we could say, like, what's Fukuyama's motivation? How has he learned and grown? But we would end up just going, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd like to get more of him in the future. Yeah. So let's move on to favorites. This yeah. Is a little bit more fun. What are some of your favorite, well, let's start with like favorite moments in the season. Or should we start with favorite episode? <laughs> um. I don't know. Let's talk about favorite moments. Okay. I've been talking about favorite moments as we talked about each character. That's true. Um, I didn't say a favorite moment for David or Farouk. Uh, I don't remember if I said a favorite moment for Sid either. Mm-hmm. But my favorite moment of this entire season, although it has complex subtext and whatever but my favorite moment of the entire season is david floating singing behind blue eyes yeah that made me giddy (laughs) with joy i loved it yeah absolutely how about you i'm not sure but there's a little moment in the very first episode where sid walks into where david is and his back is to her and she whispers, you know, are you the magic man? And he turns around and the way she like stumbles backwards, like she wasn't actually expecting it to be him. Hmm. The acting of Rachel Keller in that moment is fantastic. And I love it. I also love some of the more comedic moments, like uh, you said, with Clark walking down the hallway with the vermilion <laughs> behind him. Yep. And... uh Basically anything Clark does, I really enjoy. <laughs> and anything Carrie does, I really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, male Carrie, that is. Yes, those are th- definitely those kind of things are my favorite moments. It's hard to pinpoint since it's just, as a whole, I enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think my favorite moments are the uh, ones that really do something I'm not expecting. Mm-hmm. And that can be either comic or dramatic. And the most satisfying are the ones that I'm not expecting at all, but afterwards feel like I should have been expecting. Yeah. And that's David floating and singing behind blue eyes as the opening fight scene of the of chapter 19. Yeah. Like, I also love any moment where the camera shows you something and then completely turns around and you're like, oh, that wasn't what I, I thought it was at all. And there are a lot they'll of those. Show, yeah, they'll show like the steps of Division 3 that look like a desert and then suddenly people walk into frame and you're like, oh. And then really the cell that Lenny's being held in that is just completely upside down and yep. you think you know the perspective and then it changes and then you think that you know the perspective and then it changes again. And it's like, I don't even know what to do with my brain right now. <laughs> That's definitely what I love about this show and what I want from this show most of all. Do you have a favorite episode of this season? 
Yeah, I think the episode with the alternate timelines, despite the fact that it lifts out and is so weird, I think that our conversation about that afterwards really built that episode up for me, and I really enjoyed that. Plus the, yeah, just the moments in that episode are just so interesting and so mind-bending. And yeah, it just does something completely different than I've ever seen a show do before. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your favorite episode this season? I had a hard, I had a toss-up in my mind. And since you've taken one of my toss-up <laughs> ones, I'll choose the other one and say the episode that takes place entirely in Sid's mind. Yeah. Uh, chapter 12, I can't remember what we called it. But anyway, that one was amazing to me because Mm -hmm. for a lot of the same reasons that the multiverse episode was it's an explore it's an exploration of this character it's so well done to revisit these moments again and again but see something new every time Mm -hmm. like that's a lot of what i think uh complex storytelling can do that is uh both pleasing and impressive is emotionally satisfying and intellectually satisfying to be like, I didn't notice this or see this or interpret it this way the first time. And now I'm seeing it differently. And partly because you're adding new information, but partly just because I'm interpreting it differently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that episode gives us a lot of grounding into Sid's character. It gives us a lot of grounding into what the season is about. It gives mm-hmm. us a lot of grounding into David's character, frankly. And what it showed me about David's character wasn't in very reassuring. Yeah. It showed me how little he really understands her. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really great episode. I agree. I agree. Legion has lots of music, songs, musical numbers, characters, dancing and singing. Do you have a favorite musical number from this season? It's the mouse. <laughs> that mouse singing slave to love i watched it so many times and it was so great i love that mouse (laughs) how about you i'm gonna uh beat a dead horse and say david singing behind blue eyes again yeah it's the same thing i already said but i mean an mva that that dance fight from the first episode is amazing yes that is also really great Mm -hmm. um I really liked this season all the uh, Noah Hawley, Jeff Russo covers that we got. Mm-hmm. I liked them all. Yep, I agree. They uh, did. They really changed your perspective on those songs. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of which one of those covers was my favorite. I think I Am Superman was mine. Yeah. I I think so, too. I'm Superman. I really liked Cornflake Girl. Mm, Their cover of Cornflake Girl. They were really good. And it was really... I really enjoyed all of that. I hope that we get more of those covers next season. Yeah, me too. Me too. I would like an album of all their covers. Yeah. They've done Legion albums, but they haven't. Those aren't part of them. Yeah, I would like just an album of all the covers and the whole song. Yeah. That would be great. So we had our season wrap up last 
uh, last year that was about season one. Yep. And we asked nine different questions that we thought season two should answer. So okay. I'm just going to read them out and we're going to see if, the, if season two answered them. Okay, go. So what is the Shadow King looking for? His body. Ding, his body. We answered that one. <laughs> what is the mysterious ball orb sphere thing? It was made by Carrie to contain David from the future. Bang. Answered. What happened to David's mother slash biological mother? Who knows? Who we knows? That was not answered all at season. all. Nope. We do not care about that. What is the deal with David's adoptive parents? No idea. Still no idea. They're both dead. I guess. Yeah. I mean, yes. What did the stars say? <laughs> the stars said you are a god. Yeah. I think so. Right? That's what I said in the last episode, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think that's right. I think you're right. But we don't actually ever get a concrete answer, and I think that's fine. That's not a clear and concrete answer, but I think they've given us enough to make that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of thoughts on the doctors. Is like, is Dr. Kissinger actually dead? Is Dr. Poole dead? And the answer is... We don't care. We don't know and care. Nope. Will we return to Clockworks? No, no. but we did get some shots of Clockworks from... Like some flashbacks. Yep. So that was kind of cool. What is the deal with Walter? Nope. Yeah. He's just dead and gone. No one cares about Walter anymore. And I guess and maybe that's, that's what I'm worried is going to happen to Patonomy, and I'm a little bit sad about that. I hope that's not what happens to Patonomy. Mm-hmm. And then our big question was, what is the deal with Division 3 and what are the divisions? And man, did that question get answered this season. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Immediately. In the first episode of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think that... They did pretty good at answering questions, and we did pretty well at asking the questions for, that were going to get answered. Mm-hmm. Except for about David's past. Yeah. We don't know anything more about David's past now than we did at the end of the first season. Yeah. Like, nothing. Nothing at all, no. We also made some predictions on what would happen in season three, that some are funny, some are some are not too bad. I said that the Shadow King was probably looking for Professor X, or something on the astral plane, not something in the physical realm, which eh. I was very wrong about. Uh, you thought that maybe they were looking for an astral version of Cerebro, which I don't even remember what why you thought that. But Because if it was going to be on the astral plane, it was going to be some kind of astral plane device that would enhance his powers. Right. I was wrong. I definitely wrong. But I think uh, he was searching for something to enhance his powers. Yeah, that's true. Um, we thought that the ball was sent by the Division 3. Definitely But wrong. I definitely uh, theorized that it could have been sent by Carrie. And you definitely theorized that it was connected to time travel. Yeah. Which it totally was. We theorized that the plot of Season 2, you said that it would be the Shadow King is in Oliver, the conflict is with Oliver and David... David trying to cope with his illness and escape from control of Division 3. A battle in defeat of Oliver, ending with Oliver dead. So, you know, maybe 40%? Yeah. (laughs) I guess that Oliver would definitely die and there would be no happy ending for Melanie, which is completely wrong. It would be the the conflict would be about retrieving the the Shadow King from Oliver, sort of. And there would be a strong conflict between Melanie and everybody else. And Melanie would lose everyone. That's pretty much right. Almost right. right. My my reasoning was that she would kind of go evil, but it was, I was almost right. 
she did kind of go evil. Mm-hmm. I think you were almost right, close to right on that one. Yeah. Will Professor X be on the show? And we said a cameo would be nice. And our guest was all the way to season three, that season three would have time travel and would happen during season one. <laughs> <laughs> that was your guess. <laughs> so what are our predictions now that we've seen season two? What are our predictions for season three? Well, what are our, what are the unanswered questions at this point? What are I the unanswered first? questions? I think um, we still don't know very much about Fukuyama and his deal. Yeah, Absolutely. We still, unanswered questions still from season one about David's mother. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll never get that, but I'm still expecting that we'll get some kind of acknowledgement that David must have had a mother. Biological mother. Biological mother. In, I think those are the questions from season one that are unanswered that I still expect and some kind of answer to. Yeah, absolutely. The questions from season two, I think we still basically don't know going to happen what has happened what exactly is the nature of what has happened to amy mm-hmm. and that's a lingering question yes i don't know if we really got answers about the monks and what their deal is mm-hmm. i don't know if i expect to no i don't know if i expect to either. but i don't think that was answered and specifically no. like the monks are good if you understand the secret what was the secret yeah i don't know but maybe we're never going to yeah uh, questions we don't have answers to. What is Oliver's, what was Oliver's plan to kill Farouk? Yeah, that is, yeah, exactly. Is the next season going to take place three years later? Because we have Melanie and Oliver in the cube three years later. Yeah. And so either they're not going to be in the next season or the next season is going to take place years later, which I don't put that past them. Yeah. Are there anything else that you recognize as unanswered questions from season two um what is the deal with future sid Mm -hmm. was she real all along will we get to see her in the next season see sid become her will we get to see sid lose her arm yeah what happened to sid's arm yeah so those those questions are definitely there and what's and will and will we see patonomy again unanswered question from season two what was the deal with the cow oh yeah what was the deal with the cow that never got addressed at all. There I don't are a lot ex- of farm animals. I don't expect that ever to get addressed, but like unaddressed questions. I think David created those animals, created the cow. Yeah. From his mind. Sure. I'll agree with that, but why? And what does it mean? Well, you know, cows. And I feel like the Minotaur <laughs> remains an unanswered question mark. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think it's going to be answered. It might be. I think these unanswered questions, the cow and the minotaur, and that those are aspects of this season being a maze. Yes. And also the monks, yeah. like th- that stops. I think that's all an aspect of this season being a maze. So I'm raising questions that I don't think we're getting answers to ever. Yeah. So we had circles in the first season and uh, hexagons in this season. What shape's going to be next season? Triangles. We already have triangles kind of on the shirts and stuff. Is it going to be full-on triangles everywhere, maybe? In- infinity signs. Infinity signs. <laughs> um, dodecahedrons. Too visually similar to hexagons. Yeah, I know. It's true. Like anything... Squares. Anything... Squares? Anything with more than four sides is going to be too visually similar to hexagons to be striking. Yeah, it's I true. Think. It's true. Puzzle pieces? I know, yeah. Maybe that's too on the nose. (laughs) 
question marks like Doctor Who. Oh yes, question marks everywhere. So let's do some absolutely wild speculation. What is going to happen in season three, Jan? I think that season three is going to be, uh, I don't know, full on David doing whatever he wants. I think season three is going to be a lot in David's head. Mm -hmm. Unlike the previous two seasons where people speculated it was in David's head, I think a lot of season three is going to be actually in David's head. Because he can manipulate now manipulate the world to be whatever he wants, and he's going to do that, right? And so he will attempt to punish his enemies and help his friends. And Lenny will be there with him the whole time. Lenny will be Lenny slash Amy. Okay. So she'll be crazy Amy. She'll be she'll be Lenny with her crazy personality and like lack of stability but she'll also have a mothering instinct towards david that lenny never actually had because she still has that amy aspect in her Hmm, i like it so what's your what's your wild speculation i think we're going to start season three with david as the villain and sid as the hero and kind of a i think they're going to set it up as if it's going to be a superhero villain superhero conflict between david and sid Mm -hmm. but i don't think we're going to continue that yeah i think it is going to be three years in the future i think that at the beginning of season three melanie and oliver will be in the cube but during season three we'll have to bring them out to help or something or something or go in to consult with them or whatever i think the primary conflict is going to be between david and everybody Mm-hmm. I think David is going to functionally be the antagonist of the season. Uh, and I am not sure whether... I think the Shadow King's still around. I think Farouk is still around. And I think that uh, we're still dealing with Farouk. Yeah, I agree. Throughout season three. Yeah, I think there's going to be some time travel. I think there's Again. definitely going to be some time travel. I don't think season three is going to be Back to the Future 2, where they travel back to season one and it all happens at the same time. But there definitely could be some things there. And like, uh, is Carrie still going to make that ball that David ends up in? Or is this not the kind of time travel where we do that? I'm Who not sure. even knows? <laughs> is Professor X going to make an appearance in season three? I think yes. I've heard some rumblings that he is. I don't think he's going to be played by anyone we know. But I think I think he's going to get a cameo in season three for sure. Uh-huh. I agree with that. Any other wild speculations for season three? I think it's just going to be a crazy ride and anything we speculate is going to be completely wrong because (laughs) anything I thought that was going to happen after season one, I was just like completely wrong. Wow, did I have no idea. To have them show up at Division 3 was just like, oh, nothing I thought was real is real. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe season three will be like 10 years later, end of the world, David is old and they're fighting him maybe season three ends by traveling back to the past to before all of this happens yeah (laughs) and the whole show is a loop do we have any now that we've talked about uh we looked closely at this season last year we looked closely at the first season do you have any thoughts about 
the series as a whole, taking both seasons into account that we haven't already covered? Mm-hmm. I think that there have been some overarching themes of what is reality that I think is going to continue to be so that it is a show that wants to make you think mm-hmm. about the nature of reality, about the nature of madness, about the nature of mental illness. And I think that we should continue to engage with it in that way. I absolutely agree. What about, what are your thoughts? I totally, I think the, this is a, uh, philosophically, especially with like existentialist philosophy, engaged show, interested in the nature of reality and the nature of knowledge. I suspect that if the first season was about ontology and the second season was about epistemology, that maybe the third season will be about narrative even more directly. Mm-hmm. What's a story and how do we tell them? And what's the nature of a story and what makes a hero or a protagonist or an antagonist or a villain? And are those the same thing? I think we're going to be thinking about those ideas more directly in season three. Because that seems to me like the next philosophical place to examine connected to the whole idea of like what's real and what's not. And how do you know what you know and how do you understand what you understand is kind of more directly acknowledging the fictional nature of the show. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about some of the feedback that we've gotten, some of the questions we've gotten? Yes, I do. So we got a few things, uh, a few comments and questions over Twitter. Do you want to, do you have those in front of you? I do. So I have from uh, at Versafile. Do you feel that season three will have compassion for David the way season one and parts of season two did, or will it just be a tragedy? I think there's two answers to that. One is there's no such thing as a tragedy if you don't have compassion for the victim. Mm-hmm. You have to have compassion for him for it to be a tragedy. Yeah. If you have no compassion, it's not a tragedy at all. So I do think it will be a tragedy. I do think it will have compassion for him. Uh, I think they'll have compassion for him at least as much as we had compassion for Farouk in season two. Which might not be very satisfying as an answer, but I think that, like, the show is interested in characters that are uh, nuanced in their motivations and in their relationship to morality. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I really think that we're going to continue to be allowed to or encouraged to root for David. Yes, I think there's no doubt that he is the titular character. And that might be in the way that this show tends to be, they that might be a trick. Mm-hmm. They might be encouraging you to root for someone who's the bad guy to make you re-examine your own assumptions about uh narrative and morality and whatever. So if you want to uncomplicatedly root for a purely good character, I think you're watching the wrong show. Yeah. What do you think? I think, yeah, what makes us human is to have compassion. And I think there's no doubt we'll have compassion for David in the future. What else have we got? We have 
James Reeves at James Ree and a bunch of numbers on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not reading all the numbers. Um, why is no one vilifying Sid for trying to murder David but failing, only denouncing David for some type of rape that looked like consent? Sorry, that looked as consensual to me as it ever had. Just because the sex at the time was consensual doesn't mean she wasn't drugged. Just, just putting that out there. Yeah. Um. All he he's saying all he did was erase Farouk's propaganda campaign. Um. I think we are vilifying Sid for turning a gun on David, but I do think she was trying to stop him from becoming evil. She mm-hmm. was trying to do what they've been doing all along, which was try to stop him from ruining the world. I really get my back up when you call what David did not rape because he he changed her mind. He violated her mind first, and that is a big deal. Yeah, and we should like... It has a parallel in the real world, so that's why it's it's deplorable we should be really upfront and straight about like drugging someone so you can have sex with them drugging someone so that they will then consent is not actual consent and so maybe it looked consensual but uh after her mind had been altered sid is not in a mental state to be able to consent Mm -hmm. and david uh i can give him the benefit of the doubt to accept that he didn't realize that yeah I could even give uh, viewers the benefit of the doubt to say that maybe they didn't realize that, but realize it now. Mm-hmm. When Sid said, you drugged me and had sex with me, you no longer have the excuse of not understanding what happened. Yeah, exactly. There was a follow-up tweet to this by Valen. Valen on Twitter, at Valeria Masopi. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um... I believe that's what he believed he was doing, but he shouldn't have been. He should have been straight with her before having sex. Still, though, Sid straight up raped a guy and got him arrested for it. I hesitate to call her the new hero if this is what disqualifies David. I, I definitely think that we have talked out against like there's no new hero in yeah. this. There's no hero. There's no villain. That's a dichotomy that is, doesn't exist. Sid could be the new protagonist. I think the difference between what Sid did and what David did, and maybe this is splitting hairs, but Sid had consequences. Yeah. Sid had serious mental and mental consequences for that action. And we see nothing for David having consequences. And that's frustrating to me. Yeah. I don't like Sid definitely did something wrong. Mm hmm. But she was 16. Yep. And, and the reason didn't know what to do. I mean, like, the reason in the real world, the reason that no matter how much they claim they consent, an adult having sex with a 16-year-old is legally statutory rape no matter how much they consent, is because a 16-year-old isn't capable of consenting in an informed and responsible way. Mm-hmm. So that's not to say that Sid doesn't carry some moral culpability, but it does mean that her powers are confusing to her and we just can't make a moral judgment of 16-year-old Sid that's equivalent to the moral judgment we make of adult David, no matter what they both did. Yeah. She was a child. Does that excuse what she did? No. No. But they're not morally equivalent. Mm-hmm. 
I, this is a absolutely controversial position that I am going to make, which is, I don't think that a fictional character should be judged as morally irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I think that there is a really harmful tendency to want to redeem people for terrible things that translates into the world of like, well, they're not so bad. It's a new chapter in their life. But that said, I think that interesting stories involve moral complexity and moral nuance. And one, there is a value both narratively and morally in showing complicated consequences rather than simplistic ones. Hmm. So I don't think that, well, character did this, therefore they are now evil forever, is a morally helpful framework for a narrative. Mm -hmm. I do think real person did this, therefore they should go to prison and no longer be trusted is an acceptable moral framework for society. Mm-hmm. I know that people disagree with me and I uh, can accept that. Like, that's their prerogative to disagree with me. Yep. And I see their point of people who say, like, you know, once you've raped someone, you're no longer going to be a heroic protagonist. Yeah. Point blank period. There's no coming back. I think that's a fair perspective. I'm interested in developing the story. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And that means not foreclosing any direction that development might go in. Mm-hmm. Necessarily. That said, I don't think, I think uh, any redemption needs to be extremely hard won. Yes, exactly. I'm not sure it can fully be fully realized. Yeah. Any, any redemption. And I don't think that uh, David and Sid's relationship, if I were, if you were to ask me, I don't think David and Sid's relationship is salvageable. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think it is. And one aspect of, one of the mistakes that uh, fiction often makes, that pe- real people often make, is that redemption is difficult and painful, and you can't then regain all the things that you had beforehand. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's false. Yeah. So if David is going to morally be redeemed, that means he can't regain the privileges and advantages he had before. Yeah. Because that means he's not actually accepting consequences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean by that? It, exactly. I understand what you mean by that. And I I don't struggle with that because I never saw David and Sid as this like epic love story. Yeah, I mean, they've always had a very difficult relationship. And I don't think that this is going to end in some kind of happily ever after by any stretch of the imagination. No, I don't think it ever was. Probably is going to end with one of them dead. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> so that's yep. all the comments, feedback we had really specifically for this, this episode, this uh, season as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so that pretty much like, is that everything we have to say about this, the season? Is that at the end of our wrap up? Yeah, I think we should briefly say what to expect in the future from Clockworks. Yes. But in terms of our discussion of season two, I think that wraps up season two of Clockworks for us. All right. Wrap it up and put it in a bag. Put it with a bow. Drink it up. I don't know. That season two of Legion was quite 
an experience. Absolutely. And it was kind of fun to do a long live this time. Last time we were about four episodes ahead as we recorded. But yeah, and to watch every episode, practically every episode three times before we recorded made yeah. for an interesting experience. It was, I'm not going to lie. It was a little stressful. Yeah, it was a little we stressful. we had to watch it and then watch it again and then watch it again. And then we had to record immediately. And then I had to edit it in a day and put it out. And then the next episode aired right away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Legion time is a busy time at the Moffat House. <laughs> we might, in season three, we might uh, allow ourselves a buffer of an episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll revisit that as we're coming up. Yeah. But what are we going to be doing... Uh, on clockworks until there's a season three of legion jan so we reached a patreon goal that we would talk about the legion comics so we'll be talking about volumes two and three of x-men what is it legacy x-men legacy Mm -hmm. that has david in it we might talk about the most recent legion comics as well yeah um we'll tweet out and put on our uh facebook page and stuff the exact issues and where you can get them there and so we'll have at least one episode chatting about those comics we will might have some interviews on the docket but some of those seem to have fallen through so we might not have any interviews at all yeah we'll without uh naming names there's someone involved that we were talking to in season one who said maybe we should talk in season two and then now has said well maybe we should talk in season three yeah uh which is fun the people who make legion are very very busy people (laughs) if anyone involved in making legion happens to listen to this podcast we'd love to talk to you whenever it's convenient for you (laughs) true story um we've heard rumors of a fourth season of fargo if there is that in the in-between seasons, we will definitely watch all of it and record probably one episode about the whole season. So look for that if there is a, another season of Fargo. But other than that, we're pretty much on a break, on a hiatus, until the next season of Legion, which I assume will be in about a year. Yeah, we might, in the interim, I think we are likely to do what we did in the interim between season one and two, which is if there are movies or tv shows that strike us as being connected to legion in an interesting way we might watch them and talk about them on an episode of clockworks that is a intention rather than a plan yeah so definitely stay 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 subscribed so when legion starts up again you'll get those fresh new podcasts in your podcast player of choice Okay, I think we've gone on for long enough. I'm surprised if anyone's still listening. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to our little podcast here and supporting us. Uh, You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Give us any feedback or responses you want. We'd love to respond, especially on Twitter, at clockworkscast. And sometimes we haven't responded in the past when we were saving up a response to say on the podcast. But in the break, we'll respond in a tweet. So the people that we just answered on the podcast, we just like clicked like and didn't say anything. That's because we were going to address it in podcast form. All right. Well, uh, I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. Goodbye. Goodbye.